They're speakers, authors, and real-life rock stars, bringing you life-changing thoughts that rock. Taking conversation all the way to 11. Most shows only go to 10. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? These go to 11. To 11. This is Thoughts That Rock. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Knight and Grant Menzoir. <laughs> 25 years, <laughs> my life is still <laughs> trying to get that creepy hell of hope <laughs> for decimation. <laughs> Shut up, Beavis. I realized quickly when I knew I should that the world was made up of this brotherhood of man. <laughs> Or whatever that means. Tell me. <laughs> and so I cry sometimes when I'm lying in bed. <laughs> Can you just shut up, Beavis? I think I, I just I pulled the tonsil. Good lord. Why don't you just start then? <laughs> quit, quit crying about it. Welcome everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on Thoughts That Rock. You know who it is. It's your boys, Brent and Jim. We are the podcast that is about exchanging two pieces of life-changing advice that's squeezed into about half an hour. And we know exactly what's going on in your world. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got stuff happening, right? And you feel like, I just don't have any time to get any leadership information at all. I know you don't have time to read a book or watch a webinar or go and sit through some instructor-led stuff, although that's what we do for a living. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it doesn't really matter. We know how busy you are. It doesn't matter if you're, let's say, installing drywall or doing an autopsy or glamping in the mountains. We just want to be the 30 minutes that you're looking forward to every week. You know, Thoughts That Rock helps support Cannonball Kids Cancer, Mm -hmm. uh, an absolutely fantastic nonprofit focused on providing options to kids with cancer who've been told that they've run out of options. And so CKC actually identifies these innovative solutions and then provides the funding necessary for the treatment. And because of that, we just absolutely will do everything we can to support them. Yeah, and listen, whatever format you're using to listen to the podcast, it could be on Podbean, it could be on the Himalaya app, you, you could be listening uh, you know, on, on iHeartRadio, it doesn't matter to us. We would love it, though, at the very end of the show, if you would just give us a review. You know, Those written comments actually help us quite a bit to both get up into the rating so other people can see the show and obviously helps out Cannonball Kids Cancer just a little bit more. That's right. So whatever we need to do to get you in the mood, Mm. you know when uh, you hear this music, what time it is, Jim? I do. Are you sure you know? I do. Uh, It's business time when we hear this. I know. So let's just get down to business. Okay. Our guest today happens to be one of my favorite people on the planet. (laughs) She is one of the most passionate and dedicated advocates for the underserved um, that I have ever met. Her name is Teresa Miles. Teresa is the executive director of the Women's Center of Jacksonville. Teresa, welcome to Thoughts That Rock. Why, thank you, Brant. It is a mutual love, I must tell you. Well, listen, we've been doing work together for many, many, many years. Teresa spent 14 years as the executive director of uh, the Children's Home Society uh, on the Space Coast. Uh, Ten years before that, she worked with Father Flanagan's Boys Town. She is a certified sexual assault victims advocate, has been recognized many times over for her ability to provide positive leadership in the challenging field of human services. In 2018, honored with the Ultimate CEO of the Year Award in Jacksonville. 
She's kind of a big deal, Jim. Yeah, she is. <laughs> when I was reading over all the stuff and you told me this is what she does, I thought there's nobody more philanthropic that I know. She's what a great heart. Can, Love I, it. can I tell you what my absolute favorite thing about her is in spite of all of these altruistic, incredible things that she's done? Yes. Uh, she loves the Waffle House. <laughs> we have bonded over the Waffle House for years. Uh, whenever I, I, I'm in town and get a chance to visit with her, there's only one place. Some, you know, some people go to, to Jay Fleming's. Some people go you know, to the fancy steak restaurants. We go to the Waffle House because that's what America is all about, isn't it, Teresa? That is absolutely right, Brant. <laughs> So today's show is going to be sponsored by Waffle House. That's oh, perfect. you know what? That That's in a dream world. That's a dream world, Jim, for me. Um, uh, you know, their bowls are, are what uh, every keto fan loves. We get a chance to go in there and just hold the hash browns and just chow down uh, as much as we possibly can. You got to love it. Waffle House. Well, versus the traditional interview style that you hear on many podcasts, uh, Teresa, I know that you have listened to this show. You're a fan of this show. So the floor is open. What is your thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock, number one. Ah, well, thank you, Brant. I can start by telling you I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. Um, and just to, I guess, make it very succinct, it's do what you're good at and not what you would love to do. Hmm. Okay. Now that's an interesting thought. When I first saw this, I was like, huh? So you're going to have to give us some background as to what that means. Okay. Absolutely. So I realize it's, it's somewhat counterintuitive to what, you know, they say about if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. But, but what if what you love isn't something that you're good at, you know, and that's, and that's really where I found myself early on in my career. I knew from a very early age, i I wanted to save the world. I wanted to <laughs> help people. Um, and, you know, I, I knew that I had to go to school in order to do that. And so I was in my graduate program at um, Florida State University. Can I make a little plug for my Absolutely. seminal? Absolutely. <laughs> um, and I had a professor, her name, uh, Professor Baker, and I don't even know if she remembers me. It's been that many years, 30 years ago. And she said to me one day, you know, Teresa, you really shouldn't be a social worker. You're not very good at it. Whoa. <laughs> and I'm in the social work program. I'm in my master's <laughs> in social work. And she says, you're just not really good at it. And it was, it was just a huge kick in the teeth. And, you know, because I had been at that point, I'd been working in a runaway shelter and I was so just ready to, you know, save the world one kid at a time. And uh, I think that immediately she realized how she had said it, probably because of my sobbing and the tears rolling down oh. my face. And she stopped and, you know, I give her a lot of credit for um, kind of backing up and helping me understand what she was trying to say. And really, she explained to me that I wasn't a good clinical social worker. And she talked a lot about, you know, boundaries and how I had none and that I would have children sleeping on my floor 24 hours a day and I'd never have a life and all my friends would be in the social services field and therefore maybe not always as healthy and I'd never have a family. I mean, she just really kind of laid it out to me that it was really about I wasn't good at clinical social work. And um, at that time, Florida State had three tracks in their graduate program, clinical, generalist, and administration. And she just started talking to me about what she saw in me that she thought I was talented at and what I was good at. And 
she pointed out that I could organize a group of people in 30 minutes with picket signs at the Capitol. (laughs) I just, my friends still to this day laugh because I had an old hatchback and I had picket signs just ready to go. Um, I was in Tallahassee at that time, the Ku Klux Klan, they were pretty prominent and we had this group called Clan Watch, and anytime we heard about them anywhere in the, the city, we would get our picket signs and get. And this before cell phones, of course. So, um, but I was always kind of in charge of that. And oh, wow! I group projects, papers. I always took the lead, pulled everybody's information together. I'd pull the old nighters and make it a concise presentation. And I was working three jobs. You know, I just I wasn't afraid of hard work. So she kind of started helping me regain my confidence with some promising thoughts and. Um, but she really helped me understand that I needed to build a career on what I was good at, not necessarily what I thought I would like to do. And, you know, as much as I loved working directly with clients, you know, she was right. I didn't have a lot of boundaries. I was taking work home. I was stressed all the time and other people's trauma became mine. And, you know, I I realized I couldn't sustain a career doing what I love. And so... Yeah, That's it, it, it's where that comes from. It's interesting, you know. It reminds me of uh, so. There's a television show on TV, uh, New Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've I love it. it. Yeah. I, I, one of my favorite new mm-hmm. shows, right? And they had an episode last year of of the sort of the staff psychologist who was reported to the board because. Of, of the way in which he was treated. Because he was hugging he some was, of the patients. That, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it was it was a really hard thing to watch because he was one of my favorite characters on the show. He is one of my favorite characters on the show. And, and I love that he is so, he wears his heart on his sleeve and he bleeds for these patients and he just wants them to get better and and, and give them love in any way, shape, or form that, that is appropriate. And to see that person sort of report him and say, that's not how it works. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, to, to harken back to the no boundaries, uh, yeah. sort of part for you, uh, Teresa, it, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Because if yeah. that's where your heart is and that's what, and, and that's sort of where you, you lean towards, um, in, in providing the comfort to people, especially with what you do for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, what I hated to see was him. He sort of turned cold and almost to like a robot by the yeah. time we were, and, and I, that just breaks my heart to see somebody who doesn't, it doesn't fit in with what society says, this is the norm or whatever that might be. But, it, but that doesn't mean that it's not effective and that doesn't mean that it's not needed. So how do you, how do you work around that when, when maybe we, we get so clinical about things that we lose the empathy and the heart part of, of mm-hmm. serving others. You know, what I found over the years is that really good clinicians, they don't lose the empathy and the heart. Mm-hmm. They just know how to direct it mm-hmm. and redirect it and stay healthy. You know, I, I work with some of the most amazing therapists and advocates and part of their success is they have the boundary of not bringing it home, of being able to empower the people that you work with, you know, not taking their burdens and making them better, but teaching them how to do that. And it's really an empowerment-based model. The moment a client comes into our care and our services, our goal is to help them help themselves. You know, we, we're just putting Band-Aids on a gaping wound if we continue to fix things for people. We have to help them fix themselves. And I work with these amazing people who can do that. And I see my role as 
providing the support to them in order to do that amazing work. I, you know, I, I think back, and I don't know if you ever took any journalism classes, and I know, Brant, you tried English major at one time, sure. but <laughs> there is um, that inverted pyramid where they talk in journalism about how the most newsworthy stuff is at the top, that the most important stuff is up there. And at the bottom of that pyramid is all the supporting content to get to that point. Yeah. And when I think about an organizational chart in human services, it really is inverted. So my role as an executive director, I'm at the very bottom. But my goal and my role is to provide support to all of those people above me. Hmm. And so to me, I, I see the strengths in people. I see people who can set those boundaries and do really healthy work on behalf of their clients. I wasn't one of them, so I decided to be the person to help them. So, Well, you know, I, I obviously... Um just in the in the years that we've worked together and um, the projects that that we've been a part of and you know the 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 rape crisis center now that you have the new one in Jacksonville that's a that's just one of the most amazing programs I've ever seen you know it, it's I hear what you're saying I love the fact that you put yourself at the bottom of the inverted pyramid where in this culture most of us are the you know uh, let me be at the top and, and the hierarchy works the other direction uh, where it flows down but in this case it actually flows up and and you know similar to years years ago you know Teresa and I um, were part of the same church community uh, the church uh, th- that um, I had started with a couple of friends and you know it's ultimately what drove me out of the ministry is what you're what you're describing right was i i can't let things go i am not built mm-hmm. that way so when someone comes to me in the middle of the night and they say hey uh, my brother's out in the woods behind the mall living there and there's a hurricane coming um and all the shelters are full and no one will take them you know the to, I used to get so upset because the the canned response that I would get from from uh, certain people within the church community is well we'll we'll pray for them and yes I get it yes we will but if that's where it stops I have a massive problem with that um, we have ha- we have hands and feet why aren't we using them uh, and so for me I just I didn't sleep. I, I I became obsessed with finding help for for those that needed it, and and I couldn't just let it go and and leave it to God to handle because I live here and I'm seeing it and I'm experiencing it, and so mm-hmm. it it ultimately it was hard for me to have that realization that my heart was in the right place, but it was not the right thing for me. It wasn't the right vehicle for me. Um, Mm -hmm. even though I, I I thought it was for years, I thought it was, um, but, but it took some maturity and, and sort of living enough to say, yes, you're getting a clearer picture of what you want to do with your life, but maybe this isn't the vehicle in which you should be trying to accomplish that. Maybe we can shift and similar to you. I mean, that's, that's ultimately what you did. You shifted from more of the hands-on providing the actual services to the administrating of those services and making sure that it's around for the long term. Um, and myself shifting from the platform at church to the platform at conferences and, and really found my niche in that. uh, I like to believe in my head that I simply expanded the walls of my church. Right. So I do it in a different way. Um, and, uh, and, uh, 
I'm not as preachy, of course, as I was at, uh, in the pulpit, but at aren't the same you, time, aren't you? I though? am a little. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm still the the pastor Never that you were afraid, afraid was yeah. going to drop an f bomb in the middle of the service, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's fine. Um, but uh, you know, for me, it's really allowed me to feel like I'm I'm in the right spot doing the right stuff, and so so I I can sleep at night now, right? I can actually feel like I have things under control and I've surrounded myself with people who are capable of doing the things that maybe my heart wants to do, but I just, I'm not built for that particular role. Right. I mean, is that similar to how you have felt over the years with maybe realizing that you're not built for that role? You know, yeah, I think I was blessed to have a very candid professor early on before I really jumped, you know, headfirst into my career. And so in, in recognizing I would be a better administrator than I would be a clinician, I was able to kind of pave that road ahead. I was able to get into administrative training programs and different leadership programs and really to kind of fine-tune some of those areas that I know I needed to focus on, um, you know, one being finance. It, it doesn't come natural to me, but now you know I run a multimillion-dollar organization, so I've learned to hire really good finance people yes. and, and to you know, know enough that I can stay involved and trust their leadership in that area. So, you know, you do, as an administrator, have to be somewhat of a generalist. You have to know a little bit about everything. Um, so that kind of feeds my soul a little bit because it's never boring. And then I have really good folks who come to me with the stories that make me realize the impact that we're having. So I don't necessarily sit down with those individuals and work directly with them anymore. But I get the stories. My staff care and are compassionate enough to share with me, you know, what's happening and what the results of what we do are. And that just makes a huge difference. And then I get to share those with our donors, you know, Mm. the Women's Center here in Jacksonville. We're in the midst of capital campaign to raise money for that, you know, sexual assault forensic exam center. And it's so important that I know about the good work that our staff are doing every day so that I can share that with our donors and that they understand how they can invest in helping make a difference in the lives of sexual assault survivors in our community. So when you say that, uh, Teresa, when you're, when you're thinking about the people that are going to come on board in the center, um, and, and be still my training and development heart, you know, it sounds like all the administrative stuff, the teaching that you wind up doing now in a leadership role as well, especially multi-million dollar, which is in the nonprofit space. When you think about your thought, you know, do what you're good at, not what you love to do. I would assume that there are people that will come to work for the center. They have the right intentions. They have the heart. They, they love to help out, particularly in this particular area, which is really tough to talk about, but maybe they're not great at that. You know, you having this, this, your own perspective, your own background, this particular thought, do you wind up having to redirect and, maybe have some tough conversation with people that are coming to work for you and they're great people and they have a great heart, but maybe this just isn't the thing for them. Do you find out in your leadership mind that you're having to maybe steer them into a different direction? Sure. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I think has been a, a, a beautiful thing about the women's center and we're going on 25 years next year and my predecessor and a a bunch of amazing sacrificial individuals who built this center started recognizing that it needed to be a place of learning so oftentimes we bring in really young employees people just out of school or people who are in the middle of their graduate program and need internships 
So a lot of times we have people who don't have a lot of practical life experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes you go into this field kind of trying to fix yourself. We have a lot of individuals who have been sexual assault survivors who are wanting to give back. And sometimes it is those tough conversations about, you know, you need to be healthy in order to be healthy for the people that we serve. So right. let's talk about what that looks like and what can we do to help you be healthy. Um, you know, we don't ever just release people because everybody makes mistakes. We need to be a teaching ground. We need to be a safe place for our staff to make mistakes. You know, of course, there are some, you know, catastrophic mistakes that no one comes back from, but those aren't often, you know, it, it often is those boundaries and that, you know, desire to help at all costs. And we want to slow them down a little bit because we want them to be here for the long haul. And so sometimes sustaining yourself as a clinician means being healthy. So we do a lot of self-care activities. Mm. We have mandatory self-care, particularly Mm. within our rape recovery team. Um, Those things are really important to us. And sometimes we do have to, you know, counsel staff in a different direction. Right. And when that happens, we want to help them in whatever direction it is we're counseling them toward. It's pretty unique, isn't it, that I I can't really think of another um, type of type of a job where people are literally maybe maybe are pursuing it to try to fix themselves right yeah you don't have accountants mm-hmm. that are going you know hey uh, <laughs> I'm, go- I'm gonna be this accountant because I really got this numbers thing right yeah. <laughs> so yeah. this numbers mm-hmm. fetish is is I have to I have to be an accountant so this is a it, it really I mean it pretty much guarantees that you're bringing some level of emotional factor to the table. Um, which is which is a unique challenge, I think, for what you do as opposed to your average company who is you know hiring people to work in a restaurant or they are hiring people to be on a sales and marketing team or or whatever that might be. You don't have baggage that comes in that way. Everybody brings baggage to the table, but not. I don't bring it looking to drop it off and have you take care of it, <laughs> right? right. Um, <laughs> but in this case. Um, I would imagine that 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 is something that happens more than not is that you're right. People sort of come to the table and because of a a past experience in their life that that they've struggled with, um, this is a way for them to process and and really help themselves get better in in the long run. Yeah. And, And some of the people who have had those life experiences are probably the best that we have in the field. And the, I think the indicator of that is whether or not they have been able to get the support themselves to be healthy enough to begin that giving back process. And the vast majority of them have. Yeah. You know, in, anyone who goes through um, a social work program or a mental health program in college, we go through growth groups. And that usually is where it comes out. And that's usually the opportunity for us to get a little bit healthier so that when we leave school and we've got that education under our belt, then we're prepared to not only go into these situations and deal with issues that may trigger our past, but also, you know, to help people in that process. Yeah. You know, I was thinking when you were, um, when Brant was introducing you, and, and obviously I've had the luxury of looking at your your uh, bio, which, by the way, we'll have in the show notes if people want to see your full background. But my story is similar to yours. I left Hard Rock. I, I was at Hard Rock International. I was there for 21 years. But I left them in 2012 to basically be a speaker and a writer. But I also thought that for a while I would be a consultant. You know, I had some skills that I thought, you know, who knows how many people were going to hire me. So I'll go out there and try and be a consultant for a while. I started two separate consulting companies with 
several contractors on the team. We had a lot of great clients, but what I discovered, it, it kind of goes right back to your thought. I discovered I wasn't really good at it. You know, I had traded in my really awesome, cool, fun, music-oriented position at Hard Rock for a life with clients that maybe, you know, I wasn't as passionate about. And, uh, you know, I wasn't ever going to see the end result. I wasn't going to enjoy the wins. And so I've just learned over these last seven, eight years that I'm pretty mediocre, you know, at a lot of things. But I have a talent for one thing, and that's just to speak. And so, you know, to your point, I think I've decided that I really want to focus on the thing that I'm good at. I would have loved to have been a contractor, a consultant, something like that, but that's not in the cards for me. I'd rather focus on the thing that I can do best, which kind of leads into our thought as well. So maybe Brandt, you could you could take from here. What what is uh, hopefully this ties in really well with Teresa's. What is our thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock number two. Our thought that rocks this week is is from Nelson Mandela. And the thought is this. There is no passion to be found playing small in settling for a life that is less than the one you're capable of living. Now, when we found this and and really started to think through it, especially in context to what you've already shared, I think it uh, adds another dimension in a lot of ways in that I think the holy grail uh, for anybody would be to be good at the thing that you love. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that's not always the case uh, for sure, because our passions don't necessarily need to align with our skill set. Um, but I look at this and I, and I say, gosh, if we can unite passion with the things that we're actually good at, um, this is where we can expand the influence and the impact that we can have in the world. And so for me, I look at that and, and similar to what you just shared, Jim, you know, do what you're good at. You know, I could have stayed a musician, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, I, I was good at it, uh, good enough to make a living anyways at it. Not good enough to have, you know, who I am, (laughs) but, uh, good enough to make a living at it. I was good at preaching. Um, but, the passion for me in both of those areas uh, weren't really there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought they were, but I was confusing, I think, passion with um, maybe a, a, this feeling of success. So if I was successful at it, that made me feel good about myself because I was seeing the results of what I was putting in. But in reality, that's not passion, right? Yeah. Uh, because it's, 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 Passion is is so much more than that, and we laughed at uh, you know Laura Gassnerotting, who we've had on the show, says the worst advice someone could give you is to follow your passion, um, and that is uh, uh, we've we've laughed about that many times. She she told the story recently of how she was speaking in front of thirty five hundred people, and they had a potential presidential candidate mm-hmm. walk onto the stage that they squeezed in just before her talk, and his entire platform was based on follow your passion <laughs> and she comes up behind <laughs> and says follow your passion is the worst advice you could give anybody they had to go find the trombone <laughs> choir to uh to to get the sadness out of the room but um you know it was uh, an interesting thing for me to say i want to to increase the impact of what i'm good at so i can play small 
I could have just stayed in this one area in this one community and, and affected. And I think it's important. And for those that are called to do that, I think that's, it's needed in every case. Right. But for those that, that feel it, that they, they need bigger, they want bigger, they want more impact. Um, it's this capable part of the quote, right? Less than what you're capable of living. And for me, uh, I've, I always felt that I was capable for more. And so I wanted to play bigger. I don't want to play small. I don't want to have a small congregation at a church. I don't want to play to a couple hundred people uh, in the audience. I want to change people's lives at such a level and such an impact that the legacy that's left behind is is worthy of the effort. And and that to me, you know, it's funny. You have made your life, um, Teresa, sort of serving those in every community that you have, but the impact that you've been able to have goes far beyond the communities in which you work. And I think that's one of the most amazing things about you. And what I love about you so much is that, um, no matter what it is that you have been doing, you do it with such a passion that it's, um, it's infectious. It makes people want to be involved. I still remember the first day you came to me and said, Hey, <laughs> I have an idea. And, and, and next thing I know, I'm in a multi-year relationship of helping you raise money for your, for all of your endeavors. And that to me is, I love that though, because you thought beyond just what you were, maybe what you were capable of living in, in that community. You are always thinking beyond that. And I think it's been one of the reasons you've been so successful at every nonprofit you have worked at. Would you agree that that, that that has had an influence over those things? Wow. Well, Brant, thank you for that. Um, you know, I, I think what happened for me is that because I found something that I was competent at, I'll say competent initially, and then I got a little bit better at it. And you start to feel the rewards and gain the confidence of the things that you're good at. And, and then if it's, you know, if you're fortunate enough, and believe me, I feel privileged and blessed to do this kind of work. If you're fortunate enough to have that align with your personal values, then, oh my gosh, you know, that's, that's a blessing. And I think that we all have a responsibility to reinforce not only ourselves for what we're good at, but, but for others. You know, I was, I was thinking on my drive in this morning, I'm raising a 16 year old, you know, my husband and I have this really great kid. And I was thinking about what he's good at. And right now he's really good at arguing. And it's just, <laughs> just like, oh, my God. However, you know, we, we try really hard not to shoot him down when he argues with us. We really try to understand his place, hear his voice, you know, <laughs> and then slap him down. No, we, <laughs> yes. we just really, yeah. what, we, what we try to do is reinforce the fact that he has really strong opinions. And, you know, whether they're, you know, necessarily what we agree with, they're valid to him. Yeah. So we want to reinforce what he's good at. And, you know, he may be a lawyer someday. He, mm-hmm. He's excited about being on the debate team at school and things like that because he really is good at it. I listen to him sometimes and I second guess my, you know, my initial no answer. I'm like, wait a minute, he's got a point. Maybe I should <laughs> let him go to that party on Friday night because he's good at that. So I think we all have a responsibility to reinforce people for what they're good at, not just ourselves, because then they become better and they become more confident. And, you know, those, the rewards of feeling that way really do make a difference. Yeah. I can tell you that, uh, I, I was so thankful when we decided to pick this thought because one, I, I think it's very complimentary to yours, but when I think about passion for me, passion is a huge part of my work history. I am either 
all in or I'm out, one of the two. <laughs> and I just remember most of my jobs are probably, Brent, you shared this in an earlier episode that I think the millennials today, mm-hmm. you know, it's something like a year and a half is like the max that they'll work at a position. Most of mine were longer than that. My very first job was at Gatorland Zoo, and I was there for three years. I worked at Blockbuster for four years, which is you know not around anymore. Um, but Olive Garden for three years. I landscaped for four. Most of my stuff I've been in for a long time. But I can also remember that I was a telemarketer. I sold prepaid credit cards for a week, and that was it. I, I, I clearly said this is not for me, and I was out. I remember selling with my dad pool cleaning supplies. I walked door to door to sell sodium bromide to convince people <laughs> that you could you could you know put an electric current through your pool and that was a good idea to keep your pool clean and I never sold a single thing in a week I was done. I worked as a Marriott residence in housekeeper for 3 hours and walked off the job. Actually, I think I went to the office and asked to get paid for the 3 hours and they told me something like it doesn't work like that. But <laughs> You know, my point is, I cannot imagine doing something sort of halfway and, and mediocre again. I think the passion for me, I either really, really love what I'm doing, and, and now the stuff that we do, I can't imagine doing something else. Probably like you can't imagine ever being in a for-profit corporate America position. You know, not only are you good at what you do, but you are a passion from everything that Brant talks about and looking at your bio. So, you know, again, I'm I'm giving you the, the kudos from a distance here, but... I think those two really do match up. And I'm glad that, Brant, we talked about this. Passion has to be something that is front and center or else you're just toiling your wheels. You're looking for the next thing. Once you can find something, even if it's a stepping stone, hopefully you're you're engaged enough to say, I can become really, really good at this and love it. For me, similar to you, many jobs in the background, but my, my short-lived stint as an exotic male dancer with men in motion i just uh i didn't have the passion gym um to 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 learn all the moves ultimately what it does and who wants to watch a guy that just stands there right i mean ultimately if you're not shaking it you're you're not going to get the tips that's probably not the only reason that's true uh that's true as well but you know i i think you're right in that it's it's a really fortunate position to be in if you can be passionate about the thing that you're actually really good at but for those that aren't, you know, I think to Teresa's point, go with that thing that you're really good at, um, because you, your impact is going to be uh, expanded, right? Yeah. I mean, you're going to be able to drive results that maybe you wouldn't be capable of in something that you weren't as skilled at. Yeah, and that to me is it's a, it, it, I tell you, Teresa, when I first saw it, I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Are you telling people to ignore it? And, and, but, but after hearing your explanation, it makes a, a bunch of sense. It does. It really does. Well, so Jim, to your point where you mentioned the average length of stay of employment for young people now in the workforce is about a year and a half. I was having a conversation recently with someone and he had indicated a year and a half to two years is typical. And we talked about the importance of if that is the case with this current workforce, then it is our responsibility to train them well. Yeah. support them while they're here, and then allow them to leave us and be really good ambassadors for what we do. Yeah. So I think that for all of us as administrators or anybody who's running an organization, I think that's our responsibility is to treat our folks well, to train them well, to give them the tools they need, because if they leave us, they're going to leave us with a good feeling and knowing that the work that we did and that they did 
made a difference. So. Yeah. So even if it's a stepping stone, they look back on the mm-hmm. time that they were there and it, it's, uh, you know, they think fondly of the organization, you know, who knows, maybe you're creating many Teresa's out there that are going to, you know, start their own center or become an executive director, or this was their one time in, in nonprofit. This was their one time in doing something, but they feel great about it and will continue to have a place that they can one, not just think back on, but when somebody is really going through a situation that would require the center's help, they know exactly where to send them and they feel great about where they're going to point their direction. Well, you've done that, Jim, for the last few years. I mean, you, you turn around and work for Hard Rock for a couple of decades and now you're their biggest cheerleader, even though you're not <laughs> necessarily working, uh, you know, anymore within the brand, you are, are boosting their brand on every stage that you, you, you speak at. Yeah. And, and is that not what is the best possible thing? You know, I laugh, uh, you know, back, back to church life for just a second. The idea is to bring people in, train them up and send them out. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the goal. And, and, and in many cases, this is exactly what happened to you at hard rock. They, yeah. they brought you in, they trained you up and they sent you out. And now I would say, arguably you're having a greater impact on the brand now that you're gone and you're the successful, one of the most successful business speakers on the planet and you've got a best selling book and whatever, you know, it's hard sometimes to be in the room when his head is the size of a blimp. I like what you're Um, saying. Keep going, but keep going. But the truth is the truth is that you are able to stoke the flames of that brand now better than you ever have been because go back to Nelson Mandela's quote. Um, this is what you're capable of living now. It might not have been what you were capable of 15 years ago, but today it is a great point. And because of that, not only are you benefiting from it, but so is the brand that yeah. raised you up and sent you out. Today's episode brought to you by Waffle House and Hard Rock. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're That's our retirement it. gig brand. That's we're going to keep with our passion and start working at Waffle House. <laughs> That's, I'm telling you what, they need to hire both of us. We would be fantastic. <laughs> as their spokespeople. Well, Teresa, <laughs> what is it that, um, uh, before we say goodbye to you here, is there something that you're working on, uh, at the women's center that you want to let people know, uh, what you have going on there before we, before oh, we say goodbye? Yeah, absolutely. We've got some exciting, especially next year. So in 2020, we will not only celebrate 25 years in this community in Northeast Florida, but we also are going to coincide with the 100 year anniversary of the ratification of the 19th amendment to the constitution, granting women the right to vote. So it's going to be an amazing, amazing year in 2020. So, you know, we're continually trying to raise the resources to provide really good quality care for sexual assault survivors. We have some phenomenal community education going on uh, for women, supporting them in their breast cancer journey. We have, uh, a therapeutic program that um, just does wonders for helping people to heal um, based on a lifetime of trauma. Yeah. So we've got a lot of really good, exciting things coming up. And 2020 is going to be our year. So, Brant, I'm going to need your support next <laughs> year. Yeah, he's back, back in. Coming to a Waffle House near you. You know, she knows I can't <laughs> say no to her. And she also happens to make some of the best cookies I've ever eaten on the planet. Really? <laughs> so it's like she gets me with Definitely go off yeah. keto and I'll get you some cookies. That's <laughs> the truth. That's the truth. How can people stay in touch with you, Teresa, if they want to sort of follow the progress that you're making there at the Women's Center and, and just stay in touch with you via social media? Yeah, absolutely. Women's Center of Jax, J-A-X, dot org. And then also our Facebook page, 
Women's Center of Jacksonville. So click on our Facebook page, like us, and you can kind of keep up to date on all the things that are going on in our community and um, some really good articles and information also. That would be wonderful for folks to learn about us in those respects. Well, listen, we can't thank you enough for spending some time with us here on Thoughts That Rock. You know I love you um, to the to the 10th degree. I think you're amazing. And um, just thank you so much for sharing a little bit of the wisdom and, and what's made you such an impactful person, not just in my life, but in everybody's lives who would ever come in contact with you and even those that haven't. So thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you, Brant, Jim. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. She's a rock star. She is. Love her. You All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, rock stars! Thanks so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to make sure you don't ever miss an episode. And if you're interested in having Brant or me or both of us speak at your event, we're exclusively represented by Kepler Speakers, the industry's leading resource for booking conference keynotes. To start your unforgettable experience, go to KeplerSpeakers.com. Until next time, rock, rock on! on. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.